Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. Today's guest, uh, Stefano Zanero, is a close uh, uh, colleague of mine, and we are doing and working on this special episode, continuing our series uh, on the IEEE special episode, starting with the topic of digital privacy an initiative around digital privacy, which I am the co-chair as well as Stefano, my co-chair with me on that effort. Welcome today. Thanks for joining, Stefano. Thank you very much for having me. So, Stefano, I you have such a long background. You are on the board of ISSA. Uh, you have quite a, a history as, as a hacker from, from our discussions before. Um, I want you to give your your kind of background from your own perspective. How do you got to where you're at? Because I know I couldn't do it any justice. (laughs) So, well, thank you very much for the kind words. So um, I I usually say that I started doing security before realizing I was doing security with, and maybe let's leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been working on information security on uh, basically exclusively for the past 20 years and on information security as part of my day job since 1997. Uh, I started off uh, like many people did at the time, being a system administrator and uh, studying for my degrees. And then I decided that cybersecurity was the thing that I wanted to actually work on. It it was not called cybersecurity at the time. but (laughs) It would be called cybersecurity later. Um, I got my PhD from uh, Polytechnico, which is the university where I work uh, at currently. Uh, I know that that's super unusual for the United States. It's super usual for Europe. It's two different academic cultures. And uh, I'm uh, currently a professor uh, of cybersecurity. Uh, Polytechnico, since uh, your audience is probably more based in the US, maybe they don't know us. Uh, is Italy's largest school of engineering. We have 48,000 students and we are ranked between the 20 top engineering schools in the world. Definitely. So so you said you didn't start in cybersecurity and most of us didn't. When I started, they called it mine safety protection. You know, critical infrastructure (laughs) factories, we want this place not to burn down. So you have to make sure that the digital people can't make a mess that they just did. Um, what was it called when you started? It was mostly called information security. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at the time I was interested more, and I'm still actually, as a researcher, more interested in the offensive part of it. So penetration testing, uh, security assessments, uh, uh, that I founded a company that uh, still does that. It's, uh, mm-hmm. It was one of the oldest companies in Italy doing that because there was nowhere to go to if you wanted to get an assessment, right? It it was really the beginning of this field and uh, the field was just not there. I have been the first to teach a computer security class at Polytechnico. So, um, and that it was 2004, 2005. So 
Um, I remember uh, some some notoriety around some of your early work. Give tell us about that one. Uh, so, um, what my original uh, background was in uh, uh, trying to apply. Seeing that today, it sounds like obvious. It was not obvious back then. Applying machine learning to intrusion detection and to detecting uh, anomalies on networks. Um, that was probably the thing that uh, was most famous. Then uh, uh, my group uh, grew. We moved on to um, using machine learning to analyze automatically malware. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, most of our research is that is uh, way closer to yours. So we work on uh, cyber physical systems and uh, uh, healthcare uh, in automotive, in aerospace, uh, these kind of things. Because uh, cybersecurity became, um, as, as computers became the lifeblood of uh, society outside the actual digital realm, uh, cybersecurity became even more important in physical systems, as you know, uh, than uh, in digital systems, maybe. Yeah. Well, let's take a break here from our sponsors. We'll be right back in a minute. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to Stefano Zanero. Look at that. I'm Stutter, and I've been talking all day, so this isn't my first recording for the day. Um, but uh, you're talking about your background before the break, and I know you've worked uh, with uh, Black Hat, ISSA now you work with. You've been on, on the board for a while. You've been Computer Society with I, IEEE. Uh, tell us about some of those, those boards and the high-level uh, work that you've done and referenced. Yeah, that's the privilege about being a professor. You don't have an actual job, so you can do all these things, right? Um, now, um, yes, Black Hat has been a part of my, a real important part of my career. And uh, I have uh, uh, I've spoken the first time at Black Hat in 2004. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, now the reason for speaking at Black Hat the first time, or for trying to speak at Black Hat the first time, was that they would pay the travel to go to attend the Blackett and the African in Las Vegas, which uh, a 25-year-old uh, PhD student uh, from Italy would not be able to afford. So mm-hmm. that, that was the, the original reason for doing that. Blackett has been a family for the past uh, 19 years. Uh, it's uh, uh, created all of the connections uh, that have helped me throughout my career. And uh, it's been a real and, and a lot of the um, old time speakers and members of that community are among my closest friends. So mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate about having uh, taken part in that, uh, in that community. Right now, I'm serving on the Black Hat Review Board um, since 2011, which is when the Black Hat Review Board was actually created. 
there was not a review board before that, but some of us were already doing that the job before there was an actual uh, formal review board. Um, the um, the show has grown incredibly. I don't think someone, you know, happening to be at Black Hat for the first time today would get the immense possibility of connecting that I had back in 2004. But we strive to make it as 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 good as it was, uh, even if it's now like 17,000 people instead of 1,700 people. Yeah, so uh, an ISSA, you're on the board. I know that's what you're actually there in Nashville for right now. Yeah, that's right. And uh, ISSA has been uh, another of my um, of my go-to places to network with people. Um, we founded the chapter in uh, Italy, uh, I think, 15 or so, 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, I decided to join the to, to run for the international board, which is an elective position. And I have been serving on and off uh, since uh, the past 12 years or so. Uh, it's a it's a great association, a great networking association. Um, maybe it's um, it's become it's not grown as much as the field has grown. So it's like a connection of people that have been doing this like mm-hmm. us for a very long time. It has that feeling. Uh, it may be good, it may be bad, but that's what it feels like. And uh, once again, after so many years many of these people I have known for so long that they are very good friends. Yeah. I think that that organization is a lot more for how really helps to gain some, your local area, getting you connected to who's, who's doing the work and as bigger on the local chapter than kind of an international structure, uh, which is important for professionals to kind of network and know the people around them. And I know that's probably almost the best place to find work in most areas in cybersecurity is to get known and be recommended or you find out about the job openings before they're even public. And a lot of times that's how, you know, the handshake yeah, it, passage of people I work. I think in some ways the, the field got more structured over the past few years because there's so many more people joining uh, and entering mm-hmm. it. Um, but, you know, for the more senior positions, uh, for people that have been here for a long time, that's exactly still how it works, mostly by connection and by uh, getting to know the quality of uh, someone. Uh, mm-hmm. When uh, Back in the days, there were no um, degrees connected to cybersecurity. There were no real certification. It's still, it's still very hard to uh, get recognized uh, for those nowadays. Um, so getting to know people and uh, seeing that they had, I don't know, spoken at a certain conference or uh, written a certain uh, paper. M- many of uh, many of us back in the day uh, didn't really know each other. I still run into people sometimes that have been around for a very long time and they are like, oh, I'm, I'm such and such. And I'm like, you wrote that paper like 15 years ago. I. I really love that paper. I really mm-hmm. got uh, an information from there. You, you met each other because of what you wrote or what, or uh, after a, a certain time because of the conferences that you would have spoken at. Um, yeah. Nowadays, probably there are more structured ways to get into yeah. the field. 
definitely it was a small community. So, and now, um, you know, kind of what, what I wanted to talk about, we're getting to, uh, yeah, you, you kind of come in as, as the co-chair for the digital privacy initiative, uh, with IEEE. I know you've worked also with IEEE computer society. Um, why, and why do you think digital privacy is important? I mean, for me, I will, I'll talk a little bit about, but I want to, want to see, you know, everybody here, what your thoughts are so long in security. I've been the same way, lots of years in security. Now I'm looking at privacy and people are like, well, why is that something new? What's your, what's your thoughts? What's your reason for kind of looking at that structure and saying, this is something that needs to be addressed? So that's a very good question. I think that it's one of those things that uh, are, uh, that have been with us for such a long time that we tend to take them for solved. Mm-hmm. And instead, they very much are not. Another of my favorite examples of this category of things is uh, the basic tool of authentication. Authentication is the building block. It's one of the first things that you find in any textbook. So we would think it's solved. You look around, you look at breaches, and you find out it's all but solved. We mm-hmm. have imperfect solutions and we still need a lot of research to go around, uh, along with it. So, and then there are exciting startups proposing new things in that area. As much as there are exciting things to do in research, in startups, in the commercial world, in privacy. Why? Because, yeah, it's, it's a very well-known problem. It's a, an area where we have uh, had some legislative advances, uh, mostly driven by the European Union with GDPR, for instance, but also a number of states in the US are following suit. So um, there's a lot of regulation, there's a lot of attention, um, but there are also evolutions in technology that make these ways of looking at privacy kind of stale. They, They don't really keep up with the fact that we are generating so much data about what we do because of all the devices, because of all the things that we use that are digitally enabled. So controlling what we share about our life is a very difficult task nowadays. I would say impossible for anyone, even for the most security and privacy conscious individuals you have to give up sometimes control over your data because that's the only way to actually easily uh, live and get uh, services that you actually need. And uh, if this happens to privacy conscious individuals, we make a a conscious trade-off and we say, okay, I, I really cannot work. I really cannot get healthcare. I really cannot get around without giving up this data because at this point, it's uh, it's necessary. Now, the um, the significant issue that I think is uh, um, that I think is uh, is rising is how do regular people that do not do this for a living cope, even if they are aware of the privacy issue, which most people are. Nowadays, once upon a time, we had to raise this uh, this awareness. But now they are aware 
but they don't have the tools, they don't have the ways to handle this problem. And this is an area where there's a lot of work for us to do in the academic world, in the commercial world, in the associations, for policymakers. There's a lot of work that needs to be done because the field keeps, you know, keeps walking at a mm-hmm. pace, at a steady pace that is way faster than regulation and that the tools at the disposal of people for handling their data uh, can can keep up. So it's there's a lot of work to do in this area. And so I'm excited to uh, having uh, this initiative in the IEEE community to gather and generate momentum around this, which is a very old problem, but with very, very new things to think about. Yeah. Well, let's take a break right here from our sponsors. We'll be right back in a minute to talk to Stefano some more. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to Stefano Zanero um, as the the co-chair of the Digital Privacy Initiative with myself. And I've been letting you talk uh, about it and what brought you in. Um, And when when we look at, you know, focusing on privacy, um, you know, my take is and always, you know, was before that privacy was part of security. Uh, And you hear all the time the conference, security and privacy, security and privacy. It wasn't until I started working on a bigger picture with uh, government records. And I'm like, well, I know how to secure things. I know how to implement security. But how do I implement and which security do I implement? Then I realized that, oh, privacy is something different. And it's something that as a security person for 20 years, I just looked and said, oh, that's a privacy thing. Somebody else will figure out. The attorneys will figure it out or whatever. But now having to say, okay, who has the answer to these questions? And looking around and nobody really did. I realized, wow, there is a really big vocation in privacy. And it's not the same as security. It's almost like it's the social definition and requirements that we implement in security. And we have to define that first. And we're full steam ahead implementing security, not knowing what the social requirements are. And that's why we have such big disregard for people's privacy because we're implementing all the security in our application and our technology, not knowing, well, is that the right for the people that we're, we're handling? Um, so what's your thoughts on that kind of connection between security, privacy, the difference, the same, the lumping together, you know, where does it go? Um, I always love this question because uh, it comes up also in the class many times and uh, if you, it's even worse if instead of thinking of cybersecurity, you're thinking of security as a whole. So security as counterterrorism, security as uh, uh, protection of the citizen. Mm-hmm. Because in those areas, 
there's even more the um, attention between privacy and security. And we are often asked to give up some amount of privacy in the name of security, cybersecurity, but more, even more often protection of the citizen in general. Now, um, there's two ways to look at this. One way, I think, uh, um, is, uh, is the American way, which is that even if it were true that in order to achieve a little bit more temporary safety, you would have to give up essential liberty, which, which privacy is part of, you don't do that. You take the risk because you prefer essential liberty to temporary safety. That's, that's, a, that's I, I would say, the American approach to it. Mm -hmm. But there's also an academic approach to it, which is um, privacy is part of the protection of the confidential sphere of a person. And mm -hmm. confidentiality is one of the goals of security. It has always been. So if we look at security as in part, not all of it, but in part being related to confidentiality, saying that you want to take away privacy to increase security, it means that overall you are not increasing security. You are transferring the cost of security of something on the security of something or someone else. Mm -hmm. At that point, the question is, one, is this fair? Because what you are literally doing is you are taking away the user, for instance, privacy or the um, customer's privacy or the employee's privacy in order to protect an organization, a vendor or society as a whole. Mm -hmm. Is this fair? And the second is, is this a good trade? Are we selling out privacy of a gazillion people to gain just a little bit more security? Or are we incisively increasing security for many? And so the benefit of the many, you know, are, are, are more important than the disadvantage for a few. And usually, in my experience, over the past 20 plus years of being, uh, besides a security professional, also a very, very, a strong privacy advocate in many, many uh, different contexts, even when it was not productive to be. Mm -hmm. I think that in most cases, the trade-off is a terrible trade-off. It is very, very rare that the trade-off give up privacy for a little bit more security is a good trade-off. Because as soon mm -hmm. as you, um, as soon as you consider just how many good people are out there, and how many and how little bad people are out there, any trade-off that infringes on the privacy of a lot of people to try and weed out a few people tends to be a terrible trade-off. Yeah. You know, and one of the I, I started my career in more of the physical cybersecurity, uh integrated circuit, physical cybersecurity, uh, critical infrastructure, factory equipment, cybersecurity. And it wasn't until later in my career that I came in contact with a lot of information security people that I heard of the CIA triad, confidentiality, integrity, availability. And there was a different set 
of security primitives uh, that I still follow. And basically, when you look at confidentiality, uh, the the primitive of op implementation of it, you break it apart into privacy and authentication. You can, you know, within confidentiality, you can have a private set of information, and but you also have to control access to it. Right. And in information security, we lump that together, and it takes the breaking apart to one realize that privacy and the other thing you mentioned at the beginning of talking that authentication is the first thing in every book, but it doesn't seem to be well addressed. Both those pieces in confidentiality are not well addressed, in my opinion, because information security lumps them together. That's a very good way of looking at it. Um, I think that uh, another reason is uh, that in many ways, we tend to, we as security professionals, tend to think too little about usability of what we do. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's take a, a recent example. Uh, Twitter starting uh, charging for two-factor authentication by SMS. And a lot of uh, uh, security professionals, uh, while still saying this is not really the way to do it, but, you know, using an app is just as easy. Well, mm -hmm. I'll break the news. It's not. For the regular people, it's not receiving an SMS on your phone number with a code to insert is way more intuitive than installing an app. I know that in the end, for us, for the technologists, it's basically the same, but it's not. And if you want proof that it's not, you just need to look at the numbers and see that first, out of all the users of Twitter, two and a half percent use two-factor authentication at all. Mm -hmm. Of these two and a half percent, almost 80% use the SMS. And I, we will never get the numbers because they would be detrimental to Twitter's PR. But if Twitter were to release the numbers, I would be willing to bet a dinner here right now that the uh, transition for those using SMSs has been mostly to no two-factor authentication, not to the apps. Mm -hmm. Because it's not the same. And uh, this is a typical misconception of uh, uh, security professionals. It's the same with uh, the use of passwords. We blame users because they choose simple passwords, they repeat passwords, they don't change them. Well, guess what? They are doing exactly what they can do. Mm -hmm. It's us. We should change that authentication system. It evidently does not work. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I agree mostly, you know, in there and the, the but the, the privacy, the authentication and both of those less well-defined, I think, for for the reason I, I, I said. But if we if we look at, you know, I've got a couple minutes left here. Um, what's the future of privacy? We're looking at the digital privacy as a, as an effort we've been involved with. You've been involved with for the last year. Um, we, I think it's been, you know, on, off the ground for about two years, a little bit more, but, um, what do you see as the future? What is the best thing that can be achieved or, or, you know, what's the step zero to one is kind of where we're at right now. And what does that look like at step one? So I think that if we want to make privacy really work for all individuals in this complex world, 
it needs to become way more transparent than it is right now. Mm -hmm. So it needs to become something that users can do and the right that they can exercise without thinking too much about it. Right mm -hmm. now, it takes way too much effort for someone, even if they are security conscious, to preserve their privacy. We need to go to privacy by default, which is one of the key tenets of most regulation around the world. But for real, mm -hmm. right now, that's not what we really have. Yeah, yeah, I would say, I would say, um, I, in, in many cases, though, and this is just, I guess, a little bit of my opinion is, we don't do it because we don't know how to yet, and I think that's some of the questions that need to be answered. Um, we have itchy, uh, we'll say, politicians, legislators looking for how to make the technologies, make the companies do something with privacy, and they have an idea what they want to make them do, but they don't know what how to tell them what it is they need to do. They just want it to be done. And uh, so I think there's just some, you know, a big picture of what what I think we can achieve is is that step one is is getting some definitions to those people that are saying, what are the framework that we should be pursuing? What are the definitions? What are the the requirements that we should be saying you have to strive to meet these because they're just not defined yet? Oh, there is a lot of research to be done, that's for sure. And that's the reason why we have an initiative in the IEEE, which is a primarily a, a research uh, community that connects back to the industry. It's uh, an area where a lot of research needs to be stimulated and directed towards uh, this objective of making privacy obtainable, not just at a theoretical level, but at a practical level, diffused among the people and uh, usable by all users. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect place to end as we've kind of reached the end of our time. But thank you so much for joining today. And thanks for for picking up some of the, the pieces. I, you know, I couldn't do it all. And I'm glad to have you on board the Digital Privacy Initiative. It's a pleasure to work together towards uh, this uh, improvement of technology for humanity, as the IEEE tagline says. Well said. Thank you. Bye. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.